name's Jason. Uh, my wife and I have been going to Rolling Hills with our two daughters for about six years. So I did uh, struggle for a long time with alcoholism. I think it had to do with never really feeling wanted. I know my parents had me before they were quote unquote ready to have kids. So, uh, and then my sister came along about eight years later and they were ready for her. So there was always sort of that, that tension there. And I think there was always, uh, like we talk about here at Rolling Hills, sort of that God-sized hole inside. And I looked for a long time for something to fill that with. And by the time I was in my early 20s, it became alcohol. So the turning point was uh, July 2nd, 2010. And I found myself outside of uh, Daytona International Speedway in Florida in, in basically a forest. And I was so drunk I couldn't walk. And I literally fell into into a ditch in the middle of nowhere at that moment i was literally at the bottom and and i prayed i prayed that that jesus would come and that he would would heal me and what happened next is is the part that i think people you know that are affiliated with aa or other programs really hate and that is essentially that i was healed just in the blink of an eye i don't know that repentance was the heart change that I now understand it to be. So I think repentance is a lot more than what I did was wrong, and I am sorry. I think repentance is what I did was wrong, I'm sorry, this is what I'm going to be doing differently. Through that process, there is a change that occurs, and I think it's at a heart level, and we become different, much like David did. Welcome to church. My name is uh, Chase Baker. I am one of the pastors here at Rolling Hills, and it's really an honor to be here as we continue our I Am David series. And, and what a great uh, way to start. We're going to talk about this idea of repentance today, which is a really difficult subject to even talk about Um and, and so uh, just before I, I get going here, I just know that Pastor Nick, he is back in town. But as you know, I think George mentioned it. He is at Park Avenue right now um, speaking. So pray for him. And after church, they're gonna, he's going to answer a lot of questions about this potential partnership that we could have with Park, Park Avenue. So, so be praying for, for him as he, he is in conversation all day long with these, with these questions. So it's a great opportunity. And our ultimate goal, right, is that we advance God's kingdom in the Nashville area. And, and so it's really exciting to be able to, to do that, look, look ahead with Park Avenue in that way. So we are continuing this series called I Am David. And, and the idea throughout this series is that we, we look like David more than we may think, even the bad parts of David. So, so today, here's what I want to focus on very first. There is a word that unites all of us. There is the word that we, we have deep within inside of us that we really desperately want to see happen. Like we want this to be served. And that one word is this. It's justice. You and I, we want justice to happen in the world. We want justice to happen in our culture, in our society. When something's been wrong, we want it to be made right. We look at, that's why I love superhero movies. Right. You get you get a picture like this and you identify with those those superheroes. I love watching superhero movies because it's all about the superhero coming down and, and taking out the villain. We love it whenever we get to the end of the movie and there's this big battle scene. And then all of a sudden the superhero swoops in and there's there's a defeat of a villain. In fact, 
that's probably why I like movies like Taken. That may be taboo, but but you get to the beginning of Taken, you're like, oh no, this man, his daughter has been taken by human traffickers. What's going to happen in this guy who worked for the CIA, he's some military, I don't know, but he kicks butt and takes name throughout the whole movie. You get to one scene, it's like he dominates. And you get to another, it's like everything you hoped it would be leading up to the rescue of his daughter. And you're like, yes, justice. We want justice to be served. We want the wrong to be made right. And so that sets us up for the day's story with David. See, David started out really well, right? He started out as a man who defied all odds, who went from being a shepherd boy to being the king of Israel, a man considered to chase after the heart of God, and then he allowed cracks into his life. These cracks led him down a terrible road. He began, he found himself in a situation where he allowed power and success to give him permission to take what he wanted. He allowed power and success to give him permission to take what he wanted instead of David being led by the heart of God. He allowed his heart to lead him. So we get to last week, and man, that was a really difficult for us because we got 2 Samuel chapter 11 where David had an encounter with Bathsheba. He allowed his heart to stray off. And it's these types of stories with David and Bathsheba. We're thinking, where do soap operas come from? It comes from this, right? It comes from these. What do we, when do we watch TV today and we watch all these horrible um, TV content? It comes from things like this. And let me just paint the picture of 2 Samuel chapter 11 for you really quick in case you don't know. David sleeps with another man's wife. And by the way, he took her. By today's definition, that is rape. And then he had her husband killed in battle, right? And what's even worse is Uriah, her husband, was a, was a man of integrity, honor, and loyal. He was a leading commander in the, in the army. And I get to, to things like this, and it closes out the chapter of chapter 11, and there's no resolve. There's like, okay, David seems to get away with this. And you're thinking, where is the justice in this story? And, and you're like, I want justice. I want justice to be served. How can this be? And, and if you are on the fence about faith, it's stories like these that causes you to doubt. It causes you to question the justice of God. But here's my, my prayer today. And here's what I want you to do. Hold on. We love our justice, and I want you to hang on to that today. I want you to feel the weight of that sin. I want you to feel the weight of the justice. But can we do this? Allow yourself to see another side of justice that you may not have seen before. Can we do that today? Let's pray. Father, we're incredibly thankful for you in this time of worship. But my prayer today is we dive into your word that we would be forever changed by it. That your word does not return void. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And God, my prayer today is we walk outside those doors in the back, that there will be a piece of us that has been changed because of our encounter with your word. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so let me just set this up because I want to recap just for a second um, what what exactly happened at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11 before we get to chapter 12. So we get to the beginning, and here's what we saw, and it's going to be on the screen. It says, from the roof, David, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. That word beautiful in Hebrew means good. So he saw what was good, and then he sent a messenger to get it, to take it. So he saw what was good, and then he took it. Where else have we seen that in in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says this, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, it was good. And she took some, so she saw it. She said it was good, and she took it. Let's first start with this. Let's first start with this is not just a David problem. This is an us problem. This is a we problem. This is everybody everywhere problem. This is a sin problem. Sin changed the conditions of our hearts. And here's here's something about the conditions of our heart that Pastor T may have talked about last week that that it, throughout Scripture it identifies our heart as being deceitful, sick, and and it's hard to understand. Jeremiah seventeen nine says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus even points out the conditions of our hearts. We've got to lean into this before we can go where we're going today. Is that he says, Jesus said, from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within. They defile a person. That thing that's within us is called our sinful nature, that our hearts are prone to wonder. And and here's the interesting thing, is that Satan discovered our vice and he used it against us. That thing within us that draws our attention away from a relationship with God, that pursue things that causes division and destruction that leads to sin. That thing that says, I, I see it and I want it. I see it, I'm going to take it. You know, this is a subject in the church we like to avoid. I don't like to talk about it much because it makes us really uncomfortable. But, but let, no, let's not mistake, this, this cannot be dismissed. The sin in our life can't be dismissed, can't be done with, because sin is this. It's a lack of conformity to the moral character of God and his law. That, that, when, we, that when we do something that goes against, against trust and faith in God, that is sin. When we, when we know what pleases God and we don't do it, that, that's sin. And when we don't deal with sin, it leads to destruction. And that's exactly what David did. David didn't deal with the sin. In fact, he tried to conceal it. He tried to hide it. And ultimately, he allowed cracks into his life that led to this destruction. So what happens next? Are we ever going to get to this justice? What is next? Something has got to give. Come on, chapter 12. And so we get to chapter 12. And this is what happens. The Lord sent Nathan to David. All right, Nathan, who are you? Because I hope you brought, brought some, some weapons with you. I hope you brought something with you to, to really cast judgment on David, right? You're, you're thinking, come on, Nathan. Well, who is this guy? He was a court prophet. And typically, let's just get, get this out there. Typically, kings like to appoint court prophets to give them credibility. And the court prophets would typically tell the king what he wanted to hear. And the idea was that if you had a court prophet and, and the king is speaking, 
the, the court prophet kind of give, gave him validity. He said, whatever this guy says, it's been blessed by God. But, but that, wasn't, that wasn't Nathan. Nathan was a different kind of man. Nathan knew that he had to address the sin in David's life, but he, he had to address it in a different way. He couldn't do it. He couldn't just go directly to David and point out his sin. He had to do it in a different way, kind of an indirect way. And so he, he tells a parable. He tells a story. And this is how the story goes. There are two men in a certain town. So he's with David. He's talking to David, telling him this story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, grew it up with him and his children. It shared food, drank from his cup, and even slept with it in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who came to him. This sparked a chord within David, right? This sparked a chord. He had to respond, and he responded in this way. He said, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity on him. David said, this man deserves to die. This is the pot calling the kettle black, right? We look at that story and say, he has no right to even speak in this moment. This is the pot calling the kettle black. And, and Nathan had to get David to understand the magnitude of, of his sin, but he had to do it in such a way where he didn't get defensive. In fact, he did it in such a way that caused David to become a righteous judge. It was that justice that came up in David, that, that welled up in David, that said, this is not right. And hopefully, if, he, if Nathan can get David to, to be a righteous judge, then maybe he can point out the sin in his life. That's exactly what happened. Nathan looks at David in the eye, man. And he said, you are that man. You're that man, David. And he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you as king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I, I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And, and if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. David allowed the condition of his heart to be to fulfill his satisfaction. He allowed his heart to lead him instead of being led by the by the heart of God. And here's what David has discovered. And here's the truth for us today. And it's this sin that is not confessed leads to concealing, which leads to construct destruction. In other words, sin leads to sin in our life. And here's the thing about sin that we've got to know is that sin never satisfies. Sin is like our appetites, right? Our appetites, there's only one word that our appetites know, and it, that's the word more. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm hungry right now. I can't wait to, to lunch, and maybe you're thinking that right now. I can't wait to get to lunch, but, but you go to lunch, and 30 minutes later, if you're a guy, you're like, I'm hungry again. And you go get something out of the refrigerator, and you go back, and 30 minutes later, you're like, I need something else to eat. 
like your, your hunger never satisfies. And sin is the same way. Sin never satisfies our hearts and our lives. That's what sin does. Sin leads to more sin if not dealt with. And then Nathan responds again with the word of the Lord. He said, why do you despise the word, the, the, the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. David did something here. He allowed his sin to distance him from the Lord. He misplaced his priorities. He forgot the Lord. He didn't have time for God. He forgot his first love. And so David had to see the greatness of his sin first, which led him to this very next verse. And he says this, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Finally, David sees it. He came face to face with the reality of his sin. David wanted justice for the victim in the story. And he went so far to say this, as surely as the Lord lives, this man must die. That statement became a reality for David, didn't it? It became a reality for him. David wanted justice for his wrongdoing and the script was flipped on him. And now justice was a hard pill for him to swallow. See, like David, we first have to see the magnitude of our sins before confession can even take place. We have to. See, David stumbles across an alarming truth here. And that truth is that sin deserves death because it causes death just as much. Sin is always killing someone. For the wages of sin is psychological, social, and spiritual death. For example, when we lie, it causes distance between two people and erodes the relationship. When we steal, it causes a void in resources that could be distributed. When we cheat, it causes a collapsed reliability that destroys another person's peace. David was knocked down by the weight of his own transgressions. David identifies with a victim at this point in time. I love a quote by Marcus Aurelius. He was an emperor and philosopher, and he says this. He says, if someone can prove me wrong or show me my mistake in any thought or action, I shall gladly change. I seek the truth which never harmed anyone, the, the, the harm to pers- uh, persist in one's own self-deception and ignorance. He's saying, man, if, if you can point out that thing in me, it's going to change me. And this is what David came face to face with the reality of his own sin, and it causes him to confess. And then what happens next is kind of outrageous because we want justice. And this is what happens next. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. What? Do you not see the horrific action that he he just did? The Lord has taken away your sin, and you're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son will die. Time out. Hold the phone. This is outrageous. 
Like, I get to the point in, in this story, I'm just like, Uriah's dead, Bathsheba was raped, a, a, a child is going to be seed, going to be birthed, and that child is going to die. There's deception everywhere, and the Lord said, I'm going to pass over it. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to cover that sin. It's going to be done away with. And I'm thinking that is, that is crazy because no righteous judge would ever cast such a judgment. No righteous judge would ever just pass over or do away with sin or, or cover up sin. This is outrageous. And the outrages that we feel right now is justified. I, I believe it is. It, it's justified. When we read stories like this in the Bible, you know where I start? I start with, that's unfair. I don't know about you, but I start with that's unfair because it is. It's unfair. And there's something that's within the human soul that that causes outrage of the injustice in the world. That's the definition of justice. Just think about Uriah's dad. Think about what he experienced in this whole situation. His baby boy is now gone. I, I I think about Bathsheba's mom. Her baby girl has been violated. She's given birth to a baby boy. And now that boy's going to die. The sin that David caught, that David did caused so much destruction to the people around him. And I'm thinking, that's outrageous. Do you feel the weight of that? I think I think the weight of that is intentional. We need to feel the weight to that. And until you feel the outrage of sin, until you feel the outrage of sin, the way the sin problem in the Bible is solved will not move you. It just won't. It will not move you until we see the outrage. And when we see the outrage of sin, it requires us to point our fingers back at ourselves and and fall under this camp of Romans 3.23 for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. See, ultimately, I think right here it's saying David's sin should cause us to examine our own lives. And when we identify the sin and the, the, th- the struggles in our life that, that, that causes downfall and destruction, when we can point back at us the way that the Apostle Paul describes the solution to our sin problem is unfair. It's unfair. Because he says this, Romans three twenty-five through 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. When I read that, I have to ask myself this statement, this question. Can you be forgiven and can I be forgiven without God being unrighteous and passing over my sin? That's hard. Because if this doesn't work, if this verse doesn't work, then Christianity doesn't work. Us being here doesn't work. It's futile. But it's through Christ's sacrifice. And David's story is exactly why Christianity is so attractive. There's one thing, there's one word that, that makes Christianity so attractive, and it's not justice. That word is grace. That, that grace is what we want most when our guilt is exposed. 
Grace is what we want most when our guilt is exposed. Just think about the time whenever you're younger. I don't know about you, but maybe it's happened to me. <laughs> maybe it's happened to you where you're, you're a teenager and you walk through the doors, that you come home late, you walk through the doors, and mom and dad are sitting on the couch waiting on you. And there's, there's some stuff on the, the counter there that you recognize that, that you're, you're, you're just like, uh, I, I can't believe mom and dad found it. And you walk in, you're like, okay, you're trying to blame somebody, but there's really nobody to blame, and all fingers are pointing back at you, and, and you're just looking for something. You're craving one thing in that moment. What are you craving most in that moment? Grace. Grace. Or when you come home late and your, your wife is sitting there, or come home late and your husband, or, or maybe your kids are sitting, are, are sitting on the couch, and you're looking for someone to extend something to you that you don't deserve. When we recognize or receive grace for what it is, we can't, sorry, we can't recognize or receive grace for what it is until you come to a place where you believe that you don't deserve it, right? We can't understand the magnitude of grace until we understand the greatness of our sin. And David came face to face with the reality of his sin. He came face to face with guilt and went so far as said, I have sinned against the Lord which led to forgiveness, which led to repentance. And here's the point. When we, we experience God's grace, it leads us to repent of our sins. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And you know, after this rebuke, after he had this time with, with Nathan, you know, see, David wrote a lot of the Psalm, the book of Psalms, and he penned, what we just read earlier, Psalm 51. He wrote Psalm 51, and, and if you read through Psalm 51, it really lays out what repentance looks like. And, and three things that I believe he lays out. The first is repentance takes humility, but it also leads us to humility. It takes humility, but it also leads us to humility. Psalm 51, 3 through 4 says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your ver verdict, so justified when you judge. Verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. So repentance takes humility and leads to humility, but he also does something else because repentance leads to praise. It leads to praise. Psalm 51, 12 said this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your righteousness. I don't know if you've ever been, walked through the, the church doors and you've been in worship and you're like, I want, to, I want to praise, I want to worship, but there's something that is weighing you down. There's some, something that you've yet to confess and that sin that you've yet to confess and it's weighing you down. You just can't bring yourself to even worship. But when we confess those things and turn our head upward, it's like a weight has been lifted off. And we can, we, can, we can now worship the Lord freely. Have you ever experienced that? Because repentance leads to praise. And the last thing it does, repentance leads to freedom. It leads to freedom. True repentance is not joyless, wallowing in the sorrow of repentance. It's the process that starts with grief and guilt and leads to forgiveness and deep joy. That's why Paul wrote, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because, Jesus, because Christ Jesus 
through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The grace doesn't just help us shed the weight of sin. It empowers us to feel and live differently. It sets us free. It sets us free. And I come to the point and I'm thinking, well, why is it so important that grace leads to repentance? Why is it so important that grace leads to repentance? Because if it doesn't, it's cheap grace. It's cheap grace that receiving God's grace should cause us to turn from our way and turn to his. It's what repentance allows us to do. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was a famous German theologian and pastor, he talks a lot about cheap grace. He talks a lot about costly grace, too, and this is what he says. We can oftentimes think of grace in this way. Grace is represented at the church's endless treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost, meaning God give me without sacrifice on my part. And he says this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Costly grace is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple will leave his net and follow him. He says such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. He says it's costly because it costs a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. Grace is expensive because it costs Christ his life. You know, I think about this idea of grace and repentance. Repentance doesn't mean that we, we never break God's law. I mean, I think we all know that. It doesn't mean that. But, but in this life, we'll have struggles. We'll, we'll have what Paul, if you read through Romans chapter 7, Paul had this battle within his own heart and his own life and his sinful nature. Within. I do what I don't want to do. And he has this battle with himself. The Apostle Paul struggles with it. And the idea, but when we fail, we don't simply shrug our shoulders and say, Jesus paid it all. I'm good. Jesus paid it all. But like David, we recognize that our law-breaking is an offense against God himself. That forgiveness of sin should invoke this authentic repentance with us. That we should be people that see that we are benefactors of God's unfair justice. Benefactors of God's unfair justice, and he offers redemption to all people. He gave Jesus for a sacrifice, and because of Christ's sacrifice, his blood covers a multitude of sins, not removing the consequence of sin, but giving us something that we don't deserve, and that is grace. So today, the big question is what are those struggles in our lives that leads us, that, that we need to confess and repent of? What are those struggles in our life? So here's what I want to do today as we kind of close our time together. Is that I really want us to respond. And for, for you know, this is, this is really different for us. So you have a piece of paper on your worship guide. And here's what I think about response sometimes. 
I think we can call people to respond, but they don't do anything with it. It's just kind of you sit there. But I think sometimes we just got to move. We got to get up and act. And so as we respond today, if you can pull out that piece of paper that's attached to your, your worship guide. And here's what I first want you to do. Let's first identify, even if you've been a believer for such a long time, identify those things in your life that you're struggling. What has gripped you? What do, you've gotta, what do you have to let go of in order to, to praise? What do you got to let, let go of? What has gripped your life? And, and spend some time in confession. I feel like this is very appropriate. As we've been through these past two weeks, David and Bathsheba seen this magnitude of sin and David's heart broken. And we see what repentance looks like this week. I think there's a reason why this falls in the context of David's life, that he wasn't a perfect guy. And what I love about, about stories of the Bible, God doesn't use perfect stories to tell his perfect story. He uses broken people. He uses flawed people. And we think of justice. I want justice to be served. David, how could you? And I'm with you there. I am so with you because I want... I want there to be consequences, and there are. But I've also got to remember, if I point back at my own sinful nature, is knowing my sin caused separation between a holy God. A God that from the very beginning, we had a, we had a perfect relationship. And sometimes we can think, well, my sin is certainly not bigger than that sin. I think we can all raise our hands and say, yes, I've said that before. But the reality is sin broke the heart of God. And that sin led to eternal separation. And when we look at it from that perspective, when justice is served through Christ's sacrifice, who paid the price for our sins, that's unfair. Can we feel the weight of that today? Even if you've been a believer for such a long time, I think it's rich for us to just sit and wrestle with this idea that sin, sin destroys. And it's through Christ's sacrifice that I, I can lay my sins before him and say, thank you. Thank you. So if you take that piece of paper and write just a word that represents that struggle, that thing within you, maybe that sin that has gripped your life, and just write it down, fold it up a couple of times. And just sit with it. I want you to feel the heaviness. Whenever I read this story, I feel the heaviness. Whenever I look at my own sin, I feel the heaviness. So as you spend some time in confession, move toward repentance. Maybe you can pray this prayer. God, remove this sin from my life. Remove this struggle from my life so that I am free to pursue you. And then... Once you've spent some time, just get up. There's a, there's a bowl in the back of, filled with water. There's a bowl right here. And here's what I want you to do. I've already written mine down. And just fold it up a couple of times and just lay it before the Lord. I think it's just an action for us. Nothing special about what we're doing. But it's just an activity to say, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. And just lay it in. And it's going to dissolve as a reminder that Christ's sacrifice removes 
all of our transgressions and all of our sins. Let's rest in that today as we respond and as we play this song. Thank you.